Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about the sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. He says, I am that I am. So if you've ever wondered what Jesus is like, and you've heard church talk about a lot of what Jesus can do for you, but you don't quite know who he is, or if you're like, I really want to get more acclimated with this man named Jesus, this is the teaching series for you. So let's pray. Let's pray together. We thank you, Jesus, that when I say that you are, that God, you're a Jesus-looking God, and when we all are able to get to a place where we actually start to think maybe God does look like Jesus, maybe Jesus is God, that we're starting to get our worldview lined up with what is true. But I do ask that you would help us as we wrestle with many, many questions tonight. What does this mean for our lives? So Jesus, be patient with us and guide us and direct us in truth as you make these incredible statements, starting with you being the bread of life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions throughout the message, there's a number that's going to be on the screen. I would encourage you to text in your questions, okay? If you can throw that up there. It'll be up there soon. So when it goes up there, um, text in your questions. There, this, this is actually what Kim was talking about. We do wrestle with the faith. We do this often. And the reason we do this is because we want to get to know the person of God more. We say this often, but if you're wrestling with God, you're not far away. You cannot wrestle from a distance. So text that number. He, here's what's interesting about where we're at kind of as a culture and why this teaching series is really important for us. As a culture, the way that we are starting to receive news is through um, two, two ways, actually. Um, fake news, okay, which we'll explain in a moment. If you don't know what that is, good for you. Good for you. You're just not on any social media platforms. So uh, the fake news and memes, okay, these are like two ways that you'll see back and forth people are throwing up their advice, their way of looking at the world, fake news and memes. What is fake news? It is fake news. It is news that is not real. And it is, it, it looks real. Um, and it is actually tailored to the person who wrote it. It's not the research that's done behind fake news is not real. It is tailored to the author. It's tailored to the author's um, audience. So you can probably find anything you want to confirm anything you want or affirm any way you want to live with fake news, okay? So I don't, I don't know, you just Google it. I don't know how you find it. It's probably more popular than real news. That's one way. And it satisfies the desire that we have that we just kind of want to be an echo chamber. We don't actually want to change. And so in, in light of Jesus, Tons of people have tons of things to say about Jesus. And I would actually argue a lot of it is fake news. And then there's memes. Memes. I, I don't know what to say about memes other than they're, they're the worst way to receive your news and to put out there your opinion. It's just a few words on a picture. And it is like, it, it, it makes the person that posts the meme feel like it's like checkmate, right? Like there's nothing you can say. That was just one statement. You go, no, there's a lot I can say. And I just don't want to say it because this is such a stupid thing. It's a picture with words on it. But believe it or not, memes are a way that people get their opinion and their quote unquote facts out. Fake news and memes. And so whenever it was 
election year, whenever something happens, whenever you're on Facebook, in fact, I would encourage you tonight as you're, because everybody does this, when you go to bed, you pull out your phone. I'm not encouraging you to scroll your phone. I already know that you do this. When you're scrolling and you see memes, 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 and then you see like news that affirms you, just remember, this is kind of the culture that we swim in. You can find fake news about anything that actually will tie Jesus to anything. Traditionally, people have used Jesus to leverage their perspective and their opinion. Democrats, Republicans, anti-war, pro-war, communists, democracy advocates, dictators, racists, abolitionists, women's rights advocates, and those who have stood against women's rights to vote and even drive have all used Jesus as justification to do this. So when we jump into this series of teachings called I Am, one of the ways that you can bypass fake news and one of the ways you can bypass all these memes is just asking, what did Jesus say about himself? What did he say? What did the person say? And, And what's hard is I'm not actually outside of this phenomenon, right? I've used Jesus to lever- I've leveraged Jesus for my own well-being in small ways where I'm like, okay, Lord, I need a parking spot. 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 God, I need a... Or when I had a kid, I'm like, God, you said you give rest to those that you love. I don't... I think he did say that somewhere in his word, but I'm like, God, you said, and if you, if you love me, I'm like leveraging, leveraging, leveraging. Those kind of things to my political views, to child-rearing, to my marriage. And in some ways, I would actually say, I'm hoping with all my heart, I'm aligned with Jesus. And I'm still growing. There are areas where I actually don't think I've considered the reign and lordship of Jesus Christ in certain areas of my life. Not because I don't want to, but because as I grow, I didn't even know that was an area of my life. So I say all that to say, I don't think you're exempt. I don't think that you could say you've never leveraged. In fact, even if you're not a believer and you're here and you say, I don't buy into the whole Jesus rose from the dead thing, even if you haven't, don't you know your friends and family members who haven't, don't you know if you can find a Jesus quote, right, that supports you, even if you find a Jesus quote and like like any other quote, right, and and you can, Jesus, Dr. Seuss, you can just pair up Jesus with anybody else, it just somewhat feels a little bit more authoritative. And the way to bypass fake news is to See, what did Jesus say? When he said, I am, our ears should perk up and we should say, you are what? You are who? What are you saying? And and here's what's interesting about all the seven I am statements. He's not saying this is what I'll do for you. In fact, he's making a different claim. He's saying, this is who I am. This is who I am. He's saying, I am this. Now, what's interesting of all this is historically, when Jesus said, this is what I'll do, This this is what I can do, followers come near him. They gather, they assemble, right? And then you'll have these multitudes. We'll talk about that in a second. Multitudes of people that are following him. This is what I'll do. When Jesus makes the statements, this is who I am, everyone starts to leave. <laughs> it's like, if you can imagine, the story we're going to jump into is literally as if Jesus is pastoring a megachurch just by the amount of people, not by the function and systems that are in place. But if Jesus is pastor, and then he makes a statement and from thousands goes to a dozen. When he does stuff, people love it. When he says who he is, people hate it. So we're in the book of John, chapter 6. We're going to stay in the book of John all the way through Easter. And when you saw, I am the resurrection and the life, that is a great 
that's great for Easter Sunday. So we'll arrive there eventually. But we're in John chapter 6. Before you get to chapter 6, I want you to notice that John writes in a way where he's actually writing about what Jesus does. He's showing us the tension that's building. He's showing us the people that are assimilating around him. And then he jumps into these I am statements. Like the first miracle Jesus performs that John records is at a wedding. And he turns water into wine. And people start thinking like, is Jesus a drunkard? And all the, start, all the drunkards are like, I love Jesus, right? This is, they, there ain't no party like a Jesus Christ party because a Jesus Christ party don't stop, right? You know what I mean? I don't know where that came from. But that's like, that's the kind of party that Jesus is throwing, turning water into wine. And they go, this is the best wine. Why'd you save the best for last? It's because Jesus touched the water, made it blush, and it turned into wine. That's the first thing that he does. And then you jump into um, uh, John chapter 3. John chapter 3 has the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is searching for Jesus in the night, okay? He's searching for Jesus. He's a Pharisee. And Jesus has this discussion with him. Nicodemus is, is talking to him about how do I become a follower. Like, how do I inherit the kingdom of God, essentially? How do I have eternal life, is what he's asking him. And then Jesus makes this statement that is the most popular statement in, um, in all the Bible, actually in our culture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. And you go, that's actually in there. It is. It's in John chapter 3. So he does this, and he has this incredible intellectual conversation. What he's offering, now he can turn, he can give you wine, he can give you intellect. So we're like walking with John, and then we go into John chapter 4. John chapter 4, Jesus goes to a well. There's a Samaritan woman at the well. And in fact, he crosses socioeconomic and racial lines because he doesn't care about the systems. He hates those systems. And he goes up to a Samaritan woman and a Jewish man next to a Samaritan woman should never be taking place according to ancient Near Eastern minds. But Jesus doesn't care because he thinks in a whole different way and he hates racism as we should and he hates the barriers that go up with that. And so he walks up to her and he starts talking to her and he starts talking to her about her husband. She goes, I don't have a husband. She goes, I know you have five husbands and the person you've had five husbands and the person that you're with now is not even your husband. And then she starts to talk to him about, maybe, are you a prophet? Because you just kind of read my mail, right? That's, that's a little alarming. And without condemning her, he talks to her about how she can worship God in spirit and in truth. And then she goes off, she goes, I got to tell you about this man that I found. And, and, and to be honest with you, you read that and you go, uh, the neighborhood would probably be like, yes, you're always finding a different man. But she's actually saying, She's actually saying, no, no, this one changed my life. So you see, he, he has this power that when he engages in conversation, he can foresee what's happening. This is in John chapter 4. John chapter 5, there's a paralyzed man who's next to a pool, and he has been there for 38 years. 38 years, he's trying to, there's like this idea that the pool has healing waters. And so he's trying to get into the pool, just trying to be, the idea was that there was an angel that would stir the waters and some people would be healed. And Jesus singles him out, which is already interesting in the texture. Like there's probably hundreds of lame people. Jesus singles him out and he asks him this question, what would you like me to do for you? But it doesn't, you don't have to be the son of God or genius to know if you're paralyzed for 38 years, what would you like me to do? I would like my legs to move, please. I would like my fingers to do this. I would like, can you do this for me? 
He says, yeah, get into the waters. And you can see him kind of rolling into the waters and then leaping out of the waters and everything changes. John's writing in a way where there's people coming, following Jesus. And then in John chapter six, John chapter six, we write, we jump into, before you get to the I am statement, we jump into a text where John feeds the 5,000. You familiar with this? Maybe you've heard this somewhere and, and maybe you haven't, but this is the idea that there are so many people now following Jesus, not by the way of following Jesus of being committed believers, but they're like literally following him. He's performing miracle after miracle. He's casting out demons. He's doing amazing things. And so many people are following him that that says 5,000 men, which commentators said there's probably, you know, women and children there. So we're looking at about 12 to 15,000 at least people, people that are here in this area that are following Jesus. What ends up happening is they're listening to him and then they start to get hungry. Now, I, I don't know about you, but like just to pull off a community dinner for this group of people isn't easy. It requires a Costco run, right? To pull off a community dinner of about 12 to 15,000 people is a whole nother ballgame. I hope someday we try it. I hope we do. And we will try what Jesus did here if we get to that point, okay? And, uh, and so he's, he's there, and all these people are getting hungry. And Jesus says to Philip, where would we get the food? Okay, where would the food come from? Philip twists like that question and goes, well, how are we going to do this? Those are very different things, you see. Jesus is trying to get him to focus on where the source comes from. Who's the source? Philip's going, how are we going to do this? He even talks about like nobody's wages can pull this off. And then Andrew, one of the disciples, has the brilliant idea to steal a young kid's Lunchable, essentially. Okay, And he goes, hey, there's a kid with a Lunchable. He's got some loaves of fish and some bread. And Jesus says, and it just starts multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. And it feeds all the people that are there. And then he jumps into some I am statements. Here's what's fascinating. It's like John builds the tension to say, don't you want to be around this man? Don't you want to be around him? Don't you want to be around him? But do you want to be around him for what he can do for you or who he is? That's the lingering question in this transition. From that story to this, do you want to be around Jesus for what he can do for you or for who he is? Because here's the real question. If he never did another thing for you, would you still worship him? Would you still follow him? And if you say no, you're in good company. If you say yes, you're part of the 12 in this story. So let's jump into John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him, so this is after that miracle of feeding the 5,000 on the other side of the sea. They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So Jesus had to get alone and Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you for on him, God, the father has sent his seal. Okay. So here's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying there's like, you come to me. Because you want what I can give you. But I'm actually the thing. <laughs> I'm actually, now he'll get to the I am the bread of life statement here. That's kind of like, that's the story. That's the closing of the story. 
for them that are listening. But here's, here's what we catch here. Jesus is life. He is. He just is. He is life. In fact, what they're referring to is, remember we talked about when, when um, Moses led the Israelites into or out of uh, slavery, right? That's, that's Exodus chapter 3. Exodus, and then there's some songs in between that they sing. Exodus chapter 16 is a really interesting song. They're just singing and they're complaining time and time again about the fact that we don't have food. In fact, they go as far as to say it was better when we were slaves because at least we were being fed, right? It's better when we were slaves, which to be honest, sometimes the Christian life feels that way. It was a little better. It was a little easier. And here was God's response. I will provide for you. So he provided bread from heaven, which they called manna. They provided manna every single day, just enough for the day. But then he would provide the day before the Sabbath enough for two days so that they wouldn't have to go out and get it on the Sabbath. And he would do this for 40 years. Okay, This is what the Jewish people were used to. So, so whenever Jesus multiplies the bread, we, we find that like this is ringing a bell. This isn't foreign. Okay, so you might have just read that and you might have thought, it's like hearing some friends talk about a movie I've never seen before. Now you have context. It's not foreign, but here's what's so fascinating. There's two words in the Greek for life. Bios, which is like material life. That's like physical life. So in Luke chapter 8, there's a woman that, that is having an issue and she needs healing. So she goes and it says she spent all of her bios on searching to be healed, on doctors. So she spent all of her material wealth, her bios, anything that has to do with physical life, wealth, health, all that stuff. Usually the word there is bios. But then there's another word, zoe. Zoe is life. It transcends physical life. It's eternal life. It's the other life. It's actually the lasting life. So they come to Jesus saying, you like give us more bios and he responds actually with the word zoe he responds by saying you need zoe you need a bread that doesn't run out you see what he's saying he's like essentially saying what you want to fulfill your life it, like you think it's bios. You think that the answer to the problem is going to be a promotion. You think the answer to the problem is going to be more money, right? If I just had more money in my bank account, you think the answer to the problem is going to be a whole lot of things. That the relationship gets fixed. You think the answer to the problem, that this is, that's bios talk. That's like, that's physical. It, like you can control that. See, this is where it gets tempting. You can control the situation when we talk bios to some degree. And what Jesus is saying is, no, no, zoe, because... Your life is eternal. You are not just here today, gone tomorrow. You're not just moist robots, okay? Your life is eternal. Meaning there is like this eternal vacuum in your heart, which is what Ecclesiastes says. That eternity is in the hearts of man. And eternity can only be satisfied. An eternal vacuum can only be satisfied with something or someone eternal. And he's saying, I am, I am Zoe. I am life. He switches the word. He, he refuses to use the same word. And he's making a claim here. So he's telling them, what you think you need, you don't need. I know what you need. And we think if only God would do a little bit more, right? 
If only he would do a little bit more in my life. If only he'd be a little bit more active. If only he would fix this problem, do this thing, bring me the right roommate. If only, if only, if only, if only he'd change my spouse, right? If only he'd, I didn't mean that for my spouse. I'm just saying like, if only we go on and on and on. And then here, here's the reality. Your if only is a Zoe question and you're trying to answer it with a BIOS product. And that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, C.S. Lewis, I know I quote him a lot, but he is brilliant. So he, he writes about this. He actually writes about if you have hunger, there's food to satisfy. If you have thirst, there's drink to satisfy. If, if you have a sexual appetite, there's a thing called sex. He talks about all this. And then he says this. When he talks about this, he says, if... Um, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. So what he's getting at is this. If the question is, what would happen if I had the transcendent meet my need? And we have this desire, right? Like to live forever. We have this desire that our friendships don't die out. And we have this eternal desire in our hearts. What would make you think that that's the only, although that would be the most important if that was true, that's the only desire that's not going to be satisfied? If everything else, every other desire that's true, like if you're like, I have a desire for unicorns. I'm saying like that's normal and uh, pretty universal to man, okay? Uh, if, if, if all those desires are met somehow, and then there's a universal desire across mankind for eternal life, What's to make you think that's not met? And Jesus is going, yeah, everything else is bios. I'm talking Zoe. Jesus is life. What you're going to find, you can't ask Jesus to give you something that's going to satisfy the eternal void in your heart. This is why he doesn't do it often. This is often why. If we're sitting there going, I need this car. I need this car. I need this car. Why doesn't God give me this car? And then, and then he doesn't do it. And you go, why didn't you give me this? Like I wanted it. Or I need more money. I need more money. I need more money. You're supposed to give me abundantly more than I can ask or imagine. Fill my bank account. And he's going, no, no. It's not what you need. What you need is the bread of life. Your soul is starving. Like you need nutrients for your soul. If you feast on money, it's just going to make you a monster. The thing that you, the bios thing that you look at the most is the thing you're feasting on. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I know you come to me asking me for all these things. I'm life. And John takes this immediate turn. You can see how people are kind of go, I'm out. Turn water into wine, it's great. You start telling me I need you. Okay, so let's keep going. Continue with John chapter 6. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Which is a question, by the way, you ask when you don't have a personal relationship with someone. What do we need to do in order to get the thing you offer? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what signs do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay. I would be so mad if I was Jesus. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. 
Like, good grief. How They're like, hey, this is, this is manna 2.0. You know something we don't know. So can you just give us this bread? And here's what I would like to say about this. People still want what they can get from him. We still do. This is how we operate. We want what we can get from him, and we try to bypass the whole idea of a relationship with him. And then, guess what? Even if we start to experience, because he is good, even if we start to experience good things, and we say, man, God's good. Like, look, look what's happening. This is good, whatever. Then, then we go, I don't, I don't have a personal relationship with him. When bad things happen, everything crumbles. It's a house of cards theology. Everything crumbles, and it falls down. If all... If all you want is things from Jesus, you just want things from him, what he can offer, but you don't want him. It's like you just want the gifts and you don't want the giver, right? I want what the person can offer me, but I don't want the person. I just want to ask this question to you that I asked to myself when preparing for tonight. The last time you were treated that way, how did you respond? Like that, that to me is the definition of being used. Is when I go, that person calls me when they need something. That person, they know like they can ask me for money and I'm not strong enough to say no. They just use me, use me, use me. That's the definition of being used. But they don't have a relationship. And guess what? When they do have a relationship with me, things flow out of me just by nature of a relationship. I give to my kids freely because we have a relationship together. And so I I just want to pose that question to you. The last time you were used, how did that make you feel? And could it have been avoided if a true heartfelt connection was pursued? There's a movie that's not very spiritual, but it's called Failure to Launch. Um, I think it's 2009 or something like that. I don't know. But I just remember there are a few chick flick movies I remember because I thought that they were really funny. And this, in this one, the main character, he's living at home with his parents. He's living in the apartments or in the uh, loft, like maybe the attic, I think. I can't remember. It's really blurring my head. But he's, he's living up there and his parents need to get him out of the house. So they go hire someone to date him. And in hiring this person to date him, there's a scene where he finds out he's being used. Nobody actually has an authentic relationship with him. And they're at dinner and it gets really, really awkward. So I pulled that clip off to show you. Um, So if you haven't seen it, this is giving away kind of the ending. But can you show that clip? It's awkward even watching. But the point is, if you use someone and have no relationship with them to get them to do what you want... Uh, eventually it'll come out and nothing good comes from it. And with Jesus, these people are going, I want the manna, I want the manna, I want the bread, I want the bread. How do we get this bread that lasts forever? And then he makes the next statement. Before I read the next statement, Elnor, will you come up and whoever's playing worship with you, we're going to get prepared to respond. Can can we read that next statement, that next um, verse? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. Now, when I read that, I go, if only that were true. If only I thought, now, I believe that's true, but the the journey from my head to my heart, it's like millions of miles some days. That if I came to Jesus, my hunger and my thirst would be satisfied, and I think I'm starting to realize it is true. When I come to him, 
him, Jesus, without, like, without saying, give me all that you have, just you, Jesus, just Jesus. When I come to Jesus and I say, I just want a relationship with you, and I know what he says over me. I know the kind of love he has for me. And in my prayers, you know, like sometimes people go, how do you connect to Jesus? And you say, do you pray? They go, no, that's so old school. No, start old school. Like start praying. And I read his words and I go, this is, this is like happening. Something's changing in me. What ends up happening is I start to get less anxious about the gifts that I want and don't have, which could be anything, by the way. And I start to get more, more joyful about the fellowship I have with God himself. My soul, believe it or not, your soul is famished. Your soul is so hungry, so hungry. And he says, give your soul a chance. I'm the bread of life. I'm the Zoe. In fact, even in that statement, bread of life, bread would be the subject. And in the Greek, it's swapped. I'm the life that is bread. Swap. So I would say this. This is the last thing, and then we're going to respond. And I just, I hope, uh, I hope that we're honest tonight. So here's, what do you want more? Here's the last thing to think of. What do you want more? Or what makes you more nervous? Ready? Your bank account is empty or Jesus isn't with you. Stop right there. Don't, don't keep going yet. Your bank account is empty or Jesus isn't with you. Here's one of the ways you can know, am I living where I want the bios or am I living where I want the Zoe of Christ? is think through that question. What makes you more nervous? Let's go to the next one. You stay single or Jesus isn't with you? Which one makes you more nervous? Let's go to the next one. Your health will fail you or Jesus isn't with you? Which one makes you more nervous? Because one of the things we realize is if we're going, well, the first one makes me like really nervous. The other one, I guess I could make it. Then we don't want Jesus for Jesus. We just want Jesus for what we think he can give us. And here's the last one. You're not getting promoted or Jesus isn't with you. And the list can go on, by the way. We just try to hit relationships, health, like a bunch of things. But like the list can go on. The thing you're most focused on, frustrated about, if that stays that way, but Jesus says, I'm with you always. I will never, ever, ever leave you. Are you okay? Your soul needs you to embrace Jesus. Physically, you say, I need these other things. Well, stop. Jesus says, I, I can offer a ton, but the one thing you need that no one else can offer is me, is me. So let's stand together. He says, I am the bread of life. Shows us that our perceived need is not our actual need. And uh, it makes me ask the question, what do I want more? Jesus or what he can give me? That's the question. Do I want Jesus more or what he can give me? And if you believe the Bible at all, even like this, this much, it speaks so much about the fact that you have a soul. And the problem is not that you don't have enough stuff or that Jesus isn't doing enough for you. It's that your soul is starving. You don't have this relationship with him that's vibrant, by the way. I think you can be a Christian and like know a whole lot about Jesus and say, I believe in him, but like to have a relationship with him that's not impersonal is very different. All right, Lauren, what are the, what's the other question?
right, so the first question is, why does Jesus call himself the Son of Man? Why is the M capitalized in man? You want to go, or you want me to go? Um, sure, I can run with it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, Son of Man here is a reference back to actually Adam in, in Genesis. And so uh, when he's talking about this, uh, we're seeing that the, well, I'm going to have to give a better, more educated answer here in a sec, but like, uh, unless Preston has more to speak on this. But, Go ahead. Um, so Jesus coming in as the Son of Man uh, is a reference to him being the sacrifice and the like kind of perfect idea of man as we're supposed to be. Like the second Adam is what Roman says. Yeah. Second Adam, uh, uh, as we're seeing there. And so uh, that's why he's referenced as the Son of Man. Uh, and then why the capitalization? Uh, in that case, Preston, do you have yeah. an answer to that? Sure. In Daniel, Daniel gives prophecies about Jesus. And Daniel actually talks about him in terms of son of man. So he would have all the attributes of man, 100% human. And then a son of God, he would all, have all the attributes of God. So by capitalizing man, we're not just talking about a son or a daughter. We're talking about a fulfillment of prophecy. And this is where Paul talks about it in Romans, that he is the second Adam. So that's it. One more? Do we have one more? Okay, one more. Let's, we'll be quick. We heard that it is inappropriate to want things from Jesus without wanting a relationship with mm. him. Is it possible or even advisable to have a relationship with Jesus without wanting anything from him? I think as you mature in your relationship, I mean, what is it advisable? I would say getting to know someone without wanting something from them is like the most pure form of relationship. What's unique and patient about Jesus is a lot of times he will pull you into a relationship with him by things and relationship and those sort of like you'll say God did this thing for me or I experienced his presence in this way or we prayed and saw this healing sometimes people say that and that's not the end that's not that's I don't even know if I'd call that the means to the end like a relationship with Jesus is pure so he may draw you in that way but the most pure way to have a relationship with someone is to actually get to know them and to fall in love with them and so we don't belittle the spiritual disciplines that help us do that with Jesus. Instead, we want to partake in those. And then when the gifts come, guess what you'll find yourself saying? Like down the road is you'll go, yeah, this is great, but it doesn't compare to what I have with God. So that's what I'd say. God, I just pray that we would actually know the joy of you that our souls, our spirits would start to be energized and not weary as we come to you. We don't belittle what it means to pray or to read your word or to be in communion with fellow believers. We don't belittle these things. We see these as very important. Thank you for offering us the life we didn't know we need. Help us to be committed to not forsake you even when temptation to leave you is very real. May we know you enough to know your heart, to know your care, and to know your love over our lives. And may your spirit guide us in all truth and to show us we are children of the living God. We pray for these things. We pray for these things, God, as the reality that they are. In Jesus' name, amen.